Searching for a boy in high school is as useless as searching for meaning in a Polly Shore movie. We have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And this week we get a clue by looking back at the 1995 teen comedy of manners written and directed by Amy Heckerling, Clueless. They really were clueless. Uh, And I'm going to just throw that right out there off the top. Yeah, they, they, they said it like four times throughout the movie. I was very surprised. You, yeah, you, did we do a title drop? I don't think we... There'd be too many title drops. There would be, there'd too be titles many. all over the floor. Oh, uh, you gotta get a mop and a bucket. You gotta put up a sign. Uh, Sometimes when you do a title drop, you gotta grab a title mop. Which is, you know, today's sponsor, uh, Title Drop Mop. Uh, you gotta clean up those title drops. Title Drop Mop. Uh, so we are reviewing this movie because Nola Holmes is making its way to Netflix and um, Grayson just brilliantly just tied the two together. So we are here. And uh, I completely forgot that th- this is loosely inspired by Jane Austen. So literary adaptation based off of another literary a- adaptation. I think we're in oh, the right that. space. Oh, that's so true. I didn't even make that connection, Ricky, but you really solidified that we're doing the right thing. <laughs> Good, good. Uh, so if you don't have a clue, uh, what Clueless is about is Clueless is set in Beverly Hills and focuses on the spoiled and shallow but essentially good-hearted teenager Cher Harowitz, played by Alicia Silverstone, as she helps to improve the lives of everybody around her. Uh, like we said, it is loosely based off of Jane Austen's Emma, uh, and the film kind of contains funny but affectionate jabs at early 90s teen culture high school and Valley Girls, and, you know, introduced the world to the fresh wave of California slang. Uh, it also stars Paul Rudd, Brittany Murphy, Donald Faison, and Wallace Shawn, uh, it was a very successful movie. Um, I mean, not even bo- in box office terms. Uh, this original work became a franchise because it became a TV adaptation uh, mm. that ran for three seasons. Uh, it first aired on ABC, then later on UPN, uh, which featured a lot of the main cast, uh, except for uh, Alicia Silverstone, who was replaced by Rachel Blanchard. Uh Brittany Murphy and Paul Rudd, uh, who all have moved on to be uh, very successful uh, film actors. Uh, second television adaptation is actually making its way soon, uh, almost in a mystery dramedy genre like Riverdale. Uh, and that gritty adaptation will focus on Dion after Cher has gone missing. Mm, uh, and that so is dark. Oh, man. Yeah, it's going to. It's, it's going to be heavy. Welcome to 2020, everyone. <laughs> uh, and it has also been made into a jukebox musical. Uh, what back could in... that even mean? <laughs> uh, so jukebox musicals are typically the musicals that aren't uh, original works, but, you know, Glee, essentially. It's just uh, mm. the music is motivated by pop songs. Uh, and so they made that back in 2015. And a series of graphic novels based on the film uh, has been made uh, by Boom Studios back in 2017 and 2018. And so 
this movie kind of came out of nowhere and really defined uh, an amazing point in time uh, in the early and mid 90s. Uh, and it was just, it existed and it just continued to exist and permeate the culture, uh, ever since. So I, I jumped ahead. I jumped completely out of, uh, my typical format, the making of this movie. So this movie, uh, was originally, uh, you know, unintentionally inspired by Jane Austen, uh, the right Unintentionally. Yeah, so, so they didn't set out to say we're going to make a modern day Emma. Right. No. So um, this movie actually got made originally because it was pitched as a TV show. Uh, and so in the special feature called Creative Writing, the director said, I went to 20th Century Fox and they said, we want you to do something about teens. And I was like, I thought I'm so tired of doing stuff about teens. But they said, we want you to do something about the in crowd. Uh, and I thought I'll do it if I can make fun of them. So we developed this script and it was a pilot for a TV show. And it was about this girl that was completely happy no matter what happened. Uh, the show was originally supposed to be called Nothing Can Go Wrong. Uh, and they passed on it. it. It passed and it didn't really work as a TV show concept. And then she got another agent and then the agent's like, so what have you been working on? And so she showed Ken Stovitz and they said, this is too good for TV. We should do this as a feature. <laughs> oh, nice. It was that time. Yeah. yeah, it was that time. And so then continuing on, she says, so what's the larger context for the kind of nothing can go wrong, always looks through rose-colored glasses kind of girl? And she remembered Emma, which I'd read in college. So I took it out and reread it. And I said, unconsciously, I've been writing an Emma-like character because I've always loved it. And part of it had sort of stored in way in my brain. So I really related to her and got into it. And the plot was so brilliantly laid out in Emma. So I tried to take all the things that were in this sort of pretty 1800s world and see what that would look like in Beverly Hills. So ultimately, she did make her way into making an Emma type movie. But that wasn't her initial uh, goal. But it ended up being uh, what it was today and what we know as Clueless, which... In the box office, with a budget of $12 million, went on to make over $56 million worldwide. Wow. It also had some, uh, I'd say, critical acclaim um, because it, it won you know, several uh, MTV Movie Awards, got nominated for even more. Uh, it, and Alicia Silverstone won uh, several awards, including the Blockbuster Entertainment Award for Favorite Female Newcomer. Um, and best female performance. Uh, and so the cast behind this, they got a lot of accolades. And mm -hmm. it, it's, I think, well-deserved. And uh, you rewatch this and you're like, wow, they really had the comedic chops with a really young cast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this movie is so iconic, it made its way to Laserdisc. Which is how I watched this, Ricky, originally. No, no way. You watch yeah. this on Laserdisc? Get out. I'd seen this movie exactly one time before, and it was on Laserdisc on my cousin's giant TV. You saw it how it was meant to be seen. <laughs> that is amazing. It's like seeing Nolan and IMAX. It's <laughs> how it is meant to be seen. That's amazing. I mm -hmm. So I remember 
this movie and it feels like it's just been in my life almost forever. Uh, but I remember the TV show. I watched the TV show a lot and my oh. wife watched the TV show like every day after school. Uh, and there were so many things I did not pick up on uh, when I was originally there are several things I did not pick up on when I first watched this movie, uh, largely, you know, the Jane Austen uh, connections, because I had not read Jane Austen when that, this movie or originally came out. seen that episode of Wishbone yet. <laughs> yeah, right. You watch Clueless back to back to Wishbone and you're like, wait a minute. I'm starting to think they're recycling stories. What's the story, Wishbone? Uh, the one I just watched. <laughs> that one. That's the story. Uh, and, and something else. The the main thing I do remember about this movie is my extreme disdain for the way it ends. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Emma, um, it it's basically you know clueless. So you're familiar with the Cliff Notes version of it. Uh, but Paul Red's character, um. And Emma is uh, Mr. Knightley. Uh, and Knightley is basically like a family friend. Like that's, he has been a lifelong friend of the family uh, of the Woodhouse estate, Emma Woodhouse. Uh, but he is not a, a, a brother-in-law. Not a member of the family. He's not an actual literal at, at, at most, it's like you're like a brother to me, Knightley. Like, like that—that that would be the thing. I remember just as a kid, I was just like, "Wait a second, you're kissing your brother." But like, she does. No. Re she says, "You're not my brother." And yeah, you're in the clear. Right? Yeah, and, and Anakin Skywalker says that he loves Padme. It doesn't make it. <laughs> yes. Actions speak louder than words, and it, blood is thicker than whatever's going on here. <laughs> anyway, th that was just one of my earliest memories. Like, oh, I really like Clueless, except for the w when when they uh when they kiss at the end. Now, granted, yeah, this, in this... the words of John Oliver on Community, they really get the incest right. <laughs> yeah, and so like uh, watching it this time, it bothered me less. Uh, the least amount of time it's ever bothered me, but they there is just that that's the only thing I really don't like about this movie. Well, I'd say there's one other notable thing that we really have to call out, and that is the uh, the age difference. Uh, they make it abundantly clear that she is 15, and by the end of the movie, she's uh, 16, and he's in college. So, um, yeah, we're gonna address. There are problems. Uh, with this, there are problems in this world. I'd like to think that by the time we get to headcanon, uh, everything's going to kind of even out. But yeah, with the rewatching of it, I'd say this is one of those, you know, we watch some that age really well. This one is time locked into where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Pretty significantly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I tried to join a, a little experiment, uh, which was, um, how problematic is this movie? And so I was listening very intently to the dialogue. And I honestly want to say if they changed like six lines of dialogue, <laughs> it would be in the clear. It was stand up for today. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's saying something. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. That's pretty that, good. That's... And, but one line, my absolute favorite line. Uh, well, there are two favorite lines in this. So this is a mini quote corner. Where uh, my first favorite line was, 
It doesn't say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Uh, yes. That's great. How relevant. Yes. Uh, my other uh, favorite line, though, was just Dan Hayata as the dad, I think, is, uh, <sighs> I mean, yeah, he's he's that kind of role of like a Eugene Levy type role that just flies under the radar, but uh-huh. snipes every single one of his jokes. And uh, my favorite line from his him was, what's with you, kid? You think the death of Sammy Davis left the opening in the Rat Pack? And it's just <laughs> like, oh. I want more of that. Yeah. I want way more of that. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, probably six lines. That, sound, that sounds about right. Six lines of revisions, and uh, we're going to run this thing as is. Yeah, because, I mean, oof, yeah. I really just love the, uh, just the characters. Now, let, let me just talk about acting. Like, so I'm watching this movie with my wife, and... Her and I are like, okay, so it the, you're seeing this, right? The the chemistry between uh Ty, Brittany Murphy's character, mm-hmm. and um Breckenmeyer. Yeah, Breckenmeyer as Travis was so good. Like yeah. we paused the movie, my wife and I looked at each other just like I've never it's like I've never seen people fall in love before. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this. This is it. Uh, such solid acting. Just like that exchange of dialogue. She's just like, no, we're watching. Like the movie stopped, and this is a nature documentary of two people falling in love in real life. Uh, and you just believe it. I I love I love their chemistry in in this in this movie. Like that whole exchange with like, oh, Marvin Martian. It's like, oh yeah, I do that. <laughs> And then they, that whole little cafeteria exchange is like, oh, man, beautiful. You want them to work. You want yes. them to work out. Well, and I think the, the real testament of the acting, too, is a lot of times with younger uh, cast members, if they have to do emotionally deep scenes that involve, involve crying for the most part, that kind of thing, you know, they'll do the trick to where they show the face, they cut away, do the eye drops, and then cut back. And it looks like they're welling up. They don't do that with Brittany Murphy. With Brittany Murphy you see her face the entire way through and you actually see the tears form. You see the emotional transition mm-hmm. and that, I mean, those little nuggets of performances throughout this whole thing really ground you know, the comedic story in something that has some heart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean, this is such a fun, fun movie. Like the, the world building that they do is it's it's fun and it, it really does set you in 1995 like it's it's like i was solidly wa- in 1995 yep not 94 not 96 95 oh, the one year the one year and the, the you, you can see how this movie informed and inspired so many other movies after it uh mm. we're talking legally blonde uh yeah, mean girls mean girls 100 percent we're just like whenever they started pointing out the different kind of clicks it's just like wait a second i've i've seen this before this uh, is emma <laughs> wait a second mean girls is that episode of wishbone <laughs> it, it's just a, it's it's so cool it's so cool to see how stylized this movie was and how it inspired other movies like it to do the same. And I'm sure there are other movies that we have yet to see that probably inspired this movie as well. Yeah. Uh, and but, Ricky, you know, we, we didn't mean to do this, but we did back-to-back fashion-forward films. Look at us! 
spinoff podcast. <laughs> Flashback <laughs> Flicks presents Fashion Forward Films. Fashion Forward Films. Man, I feel like I really need to study up on the namesake. Fashion Forward. What is it? What direction is that? North? I don't know. So Donald Fiazon in this movie just, you know, play, playing himself, it feels like in a lot of ways, especially in that time. Like, uh, I, I could go on talking about just like the cast of characters and how well they were perfectly cast for these roles. But like Donald Fiazon went on to play um, his character in the TV show. Hmm. And so I got a weekly or semi-weekly uh, dose of Donald Fiazon uh, before Scrubs. And oh. I was happy to have that. Because That's that, interesting. That was my yeah. main introduction to him. So when I saw Scrubs, I'm like, isn't that the guy from Clueless? Like, that was... that. That's how I knew him. Oh. I guess my memory had blurred since uh, my Laserdisc days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I always thought that my intro to him was Scrubs, but... He was there all along. He's there all along. There all along. Just like Emma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so we both saw this movie uh, when we were younger. Was there anything that you noticed this time around that you didn't notice before? Everything. Everything, yeah. Everything. It mm-hmm. was like I was watching it for the first time because while I had seen it before and I was anticipating problems with the brother-sister stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I just knew it had Alicia Silverstone. I knew the cast, basically, mm-hmm. uh, but only very limited. There were still people that popped in. Like, I didn't remember even Breckin Meyer was in this. Um, but I solidly remember the experience of watching the movie. Right. Like, I remember the couch I was sitting on. I remember what the TV looked like. I just don't remember as much about what was playing on the TV. Right. So it was it was like a new experience for me. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say the same because this is the first time I've watched the movie since, um, I'd say, reading Emma. But that's not true. Uh, I have watched several literary adaptations of Emma, so I'm familiar with the plot points. Uh, so after this is my first time watching this movie after knowing Jane Austen's work. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, yeah, he's Martin. That's Mr. Woodhouse. I'm like that's Harriet. Okay, I I kind of get the parallels, and it was really fun to see how they were matching those character types and having them take on the different arcs. Because uh, yeah. it was it was if you haven't seen it, uh, I highly recommend. There is a literary adaptation of Emma called Emma Approved, uh, where Emma basically oh, yeah. has a uh, life coaching slash relationship like business. Uh, and so she just guarantees to improve your life in no matter what the thing is. And so she takes on clients uh, and it's really fun. But it's uh, Emma as a life coach. I yeah. Like that. Yeah. It, it, it tracks. Right. And, uh-huh. and so seeing that in that was my main uh, kind of parallel. And so seeing those kind of roles shift. Uh, and be brought up in this movie uh, it was really fun to see. And it, but it's in addition to it being like Emma, I mean, it's also completely itself. And in this mm-hmm. went on to inspire um, other literary adaptations of Shakespeare's work, like uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, Taming of the Shrew, uh, She's a Man, Twelfth Night, uh, mm-hmm. probably a third thing that I'm forgetting. And the rest. 
and the rest. Uh, but it's uh, it's cool to see these adaptations because I think the era uh, of the 90s or the 80s or whatever uh, the time period is uh, definitely informs how these stories are told differently. Yeah, uh, you're right, though. There was that period of using classic stories with a 90s uh, backdrop. I mean, yeah. very clear, like Romeo plus Juliet is an mm-hmm. example where they didn't change the text even. Yeah. Um, but just setting it in modern day was the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And adding math to it, which mm-hmm. I, that was my biggest complaint from Romeo and Juliet. I'm just like, but where's the math? Where's the math? Uh, this it was the first time that I've seen Clueless since recently seen Emma, period. Um, oh, yeah. Which was also helpful. I enjoyed that adaptation quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, it is helpful to know the source material on all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Not necessary to enjoy it at face value, but um, enjoyable. Very yeah. enjoyable. You get, it, it's, like, it's like knowing all of the, the, the Blu-ray special features commentary as you're watching it. Absolutely. It's like knowing... How, like like J, like mission impossible mm-hmm. but knowing why the mission's impossible yeah like, what's so yeah. impossible about this mission that yeah i mean it seems improbable seems highly unlikely yeah oh oh that's impossible. Got it. it's impossible yeah uh because we all know that mission impossible is based off of hamlet hamlet mm-hmm. lion king that's the other thing i forgot hamlet's oh, the well, one yeah West Side Story. Uh, yeah, but I, I guess ultimately I'd like to see Clueless with special commentary by Jane Austen. Now that is Mission Impossible. <laughs> yes, it is. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is the opening scene where we get introduced to um, to Dion, uh, where she walks out and she's like, oh my gosh, I love your head cannon! Head cannon. <laughs> Hey, Ken, it's the part show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. In case you're forgetting in the movie, she's wearing a hat that looks like a giant old time weapon of war. Uh, big hat. <laughs> uh, so my biggest piece of headcanon is that uh, just that this does exist in that literary adaptation averse. Uh, and so this exists in the same world as... Ten Things I Hate About You, uh, mm. She's the Man, and Lion King. No, uh, I mean, it could, because, you know, why not? Uh, but yeah, d- there's just a larger literary adaptation of verse uh, that is at play here that all started with Clueless. Oh, I see. It's kind of like a clone high situation. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, clone I dig high. that. Great show. So my headcanon kind of smooths over a lot of the problem areas uh, mm-hmm. to some degree. <laughs> um, and it's been a while since I pulled this, but uh, I think it fits here. And that is what we are actually viewing is the afterlife. Uh, we have multiple stories oh. converging about what happens when you die. You have Ooh. this uh, you know, seemingly paradise like uh setting the weather never changes everything's beautiful but the main thing is Hmm. that people seem to be very ambiguous in what their actual age is a lot of the times um and so i also clued into that whenever 
uh, she's at the party and she calls her dad and he's like, everything in LA is 20 minutes away, which is like a funny joke, but not actually accurate. It takes like an hour and a half sometimes to get places in LA. Um, and so I was like, okay, so there's a weird thing about space, time, age, all that. Um, and then I realized there are so many cases in this movie where people have near-death experiences, whether it's while driving, falling over the edge of that, that mall railing, whatever it is, there are a lot of really dangerous situations here. Um, and I think each one of those represents the brush with death that they have to get them into the afterlife. It's why she can't really pass her driver's test because she died in a car accident, like oh, that kind of thing, wow. uh, where they're reliving it over and over again. Um, and so you also have these characters, I won't go line by line because this isn't season one of flashback flicks, but, uh, <laughs> you have like a lot of the seven deadly sins represented here where, you know, you have the, the dad with gluttony always wanting to eat the stuff that, that he shouldn't. And, and there's like rage. Some characters have you know different envy issues and, and there's some you know, definitely undertones of lust in there. All of them are dealing with these kinds of, you know, classic, uh, purgatory type sins. Um, and so they're existing in this world and all that. But I think uh, what really solidified it for me was her realization at the end where she says what she really needed was to make over her soul. And I was like, oh, interesting. So uh, she goes on this campaign to really make things you know, better for not only herself, but those around her and allows them to move on. But I, I think when you look at, okay, if that's true, why is it called clueless? Well, it's because they're clueless that they're actually in the afterlife and have been dead the whole time. Whoa. So, wow. Yeah. And Ricky, you know I love listening to the soundtrack while the credits play. Um, mm -hmm. If you listen all the way through, the final line, one of the final lines uh, before uh, the credits end uh, is the singer sings, I'm going to feel this way until I'm six feet underground. So, yeah. Wow. That's why you always sit through the credits. <laughs> wow. I mean, as always, Grayson, that tracks. Tracks. Flaw There's no, no plot holes in that. Well, nope. I was even thinking, it was like the fact that the mom is dead, what does that mean? And, you know, if you just inverse everything, it would just mean that she's still alive, that that the two of them passed on and the mom is just in the other, in the other place. Mm. Um, especially since they say she died from a routine liposuction procedure and things like that. But I think the hinting at death, the brush with death, like the, the father's uh, that he pro most likely had a heart attack. Um, there's also an interesting dynamic with like fire, a lot of the the scenes have fireplaces behind, like actual roaring fireplaces, especially when they're working on a lot of the legal documents. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of that motif in there that that seemed to fit. Yeah, man. Okay, so I am uh, my next piece of headcanon is something that I found on the internet, uh, and it's that uh, Clueless is part of an unofficial trilogy. Oh, what's that? Uh, so uh, Heckerling is well known for her foyer into coming of age stories. Uh, the first was her directorial debut, the beloved Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh. Uh, and that was in 1982. So Clueless came in in 1995 and was followed up with the Jason Biggs fronted loser in 2000. 
Uh, each comedy not only centered on teens, but also aimed to capture the adolescent zeitgeist of their eras in a way that made them accessible and cool to all ages. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And so this this rounds out that trilogy. Uh, well, it's the middle. This would be oh, the dark oh, because night. Jason Biggs was after. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, losing all track of time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right, now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to talk about recast and remakes. Recast, remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Even though it is being adapted into a Riverdale-esque drama, um, I would love to see Clueless, but as an animated TV show. Stick with me here. So, um, one of my other favorite uh teen-based shows to watch as a child was Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And what they ended up doing is they made an animated series alongside of like the live-action series called Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, where they got Melissa Joan Hart's sister to voice uh, a kind of more pre-teen Sabrina. They got um, Joan Melissa Hart? They got one in the safe. I assume that's her name. <laughs> Uh, and so I would love to see this world of Clueless, uh, but with the same formula, um, animated and have them be a little bit younger. Um, and that way we can just completely bypass the whole nightly thing. And it just kind of becomes a animated teen fashion drama or not drama. <laughs> I want it to be a drama, too. Uh, no, I want it to be a teen fashion comedy uh, kind of in in line with uh, did anyone ever watch As Told by Ginger? It's it's like that, but oh, yeah. with Clueless. Hmm. And I would love for them to have other um literary adaptation characters pop in, um maybe even historical figures. Wait, I'm describing Clone High. So Clone High, um, but Jane Austen. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think for the for the remake, having a like a once upon a time type universe Ooh, with yeah. all those literary figures, because Clone High was like real people, right? Uh, but this, you know, the, the characters they created, I think would be fun. It's like what we saw in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this would be like the League of Extraordinarily Standoffish Gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, Darcy is just the Nick Fury. Um, well, um, I think you're stupid and dumb, and I love you. That was my Darcy impression. Thank you, thank you. Headshot is in front of you. You think you're the only one who can love somebody unconditionally? Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, I like that. I really like that. I also, I would love to play this as a game, like a video game. If there's not a clueless video game out there, um, there needs to be. Like, this could easily be a Mall Madness, like, app. Like, I could very well see a an ad on Instagram for, like, play the clueless game. And, like, mm. you, like, start matchmaking and pairing people up and... You get moral points for doing it. I don't know. I just think that that would be a really fun game that I could just completely lose all my productivity to. At least the app she has to select her outfits. Okay, come on. So I, I was talking about my wife and I was like, wait, she had touchscreen before touchscreen. She's like, no, I remember there's a kid I went to school with who had like a touchscreen computer. I'm like, 
there's no way. In 1995, she's like, I mean, kind of, yeah. And so that just kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Technology was there. Another reason it takes place in the afterlife. Mm. Touchscreen technology. Touchscreen technology. For the recasting, um, because of the reason that we picked this, I had Millie Bobby Brown on the mind. So I, I replaced Alicia Silverstone with her. And it'd be a very different character than what she typically plays. Um, yeah. I think it would be. Superpowered. Yeah. Experiment. I think it'd be interesting, uh, an interesting branch out. Uh, for Paul Rudd, I had Tom Holland. Um, I think the. I think the age difference makes sense there as much as it possibly can. And then the only other recasting I did was for Wallace Shawn. Um, mm -hmm. Bring back Rick Moranis. Oh, uh, yeah, that yeah. would be great. I think Zendaya would be an amazing uh, mm. Dion or Cher, honestly. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, she'd be a great Cher. And then just keep Tom Holland. And oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really love that casting. Oh, we totally missed this in Headcanon, Ricky. That Paul oh. Rudd, he yep. goes on to be an environmental lawyer. Yeah. Another favorite environmental lawyer of ours, uh, Marshall from How I Met Your Mother. Yep. Paul Rudd, Jason Siegel. I mean, you know the rest. I love you, man. Marshall Law. Oh, sorry. You're doing another thing. Oh, I was sorry. making my dream spinoff because it's them, too. Martial as... Law does need to happen. We've been saying that for years. For years. Bring back Martial Law. Um, and it's Paul And Rudd. that quote's completely going to be taken out of context in the future. But let's just... Keep... You <laughs> let's should see bring... how we're spelling Marshall in our... <laughs> Marshall Erickson Law. I love you, man. I love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> And now we're going to go to our final segment where we like to give you reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1995 movie Clueless? I recommend Clueless uh, because at the heart of this movie, yes, it is time locked into exactly 1995. Uh, the cast is fantastic. The writing has some really funny dialogue. But I think underneath all of that, it's a message about being concerned with others more than being concerned with yourself. And that is the, the journey that, that we go on. And, you know, when you look at Emma and all of the kind of meddling that she does in that original story, you get that same kind of meddling here. And that false sense of humility where, where those characters start off of like, oh, I'm going to help my friends, but really you're just playing puppet master. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's really important, especially in, in a world where we can, you know, like and comment and our words online can meddle just as much as our actions in real life. And so I think it's a really relevant story. I think it's an important lesson. And ultimately, the lesson is that there is a difference between being self-centered and being self-aware. And when you become a little more self-aware, then you're able to actually help others in a way that doesn't just directly benefit yourself. And uh, yeah, I just think that's a really important lesson. I think there's a lot to that. And this movie goes about that in a really fun way, just like the, the source material does. And uh, if that all seems too preachy, then there's really fun outfits. Um, <laughs> and, and the comedy is really solid and the performances uh, still hold up. And we didn't really address it in this, but, you know, you have a very finite number of movies with Brittany Murphy, who is a tremendous talent. Yep. And um, this was really early on in, in her career and kind of kickstarted a lot of what would happen after uh, and the success that she would have. So um, wonderful performances uh, and uh, just a, a really 
uh, I don't know, like oddly heartwarming story that feels still important today. I I totally agree. Yeah, this movie, it's it's really fun. They they fully throw you into this world. Like I I almost had like sense memory of like <laughs> I know what that all smells like. <laughs> uh and like it just it 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 became such a fixture in culture and the other thing that we didn't really talk about is like so many people saw this movie um and it further it just became a a cultural um hub of connecting and information and how people dressed saw themselves and really made sense of the world uh mm. but also i mean this it was a great jumping on point to understanding some of jane austen's great work uh i think the thing that literary adaptations do a good job of is showing you how uh the authors of the past are telling timeless stories and how it's you know you connect to these characters who are still relevant today and who still exist today uh and i i just thought that that was really cool something i couldn't appreciate before because you know you have to understand the literary work before you can enjoy the adaptation of it and so I, i'd recommend it for that um and just the acting is so solid and amazing uh if you were in high school in the 90s just take a look back at this and be like i remember those uh <laughs> and um and man it's just it, it it's a fun movie and it it really does uh pinpoint an era in time that could only really exist then. I mean, it's no mystery why Clueless is a classic. Ah, he did it! And that is our review of the 1995 movie Clueless. Let us know what you remember about Clueless on our social media platforms. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean, like, totally, like, so much to us. But, like, if you don't, like, whatever. Uh, But we would totally, like, dig it if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice. Like, that'd be totally fetch of you. I think I'm blending metaphors now. (laughs) Uh, On a scale of one to five cell phone purses. Ah, yes. Because, I mean, that's something I was like, wait a second. I've seen people today with those things. It really is timeless. Uh, so, yeah, on a scale of one to five cell phone purses, like one is like, you know, cool and all. But five means that you know how to accessorize. Mm, and you're well connected or on the run from the law. <laughs> yeah. Why do you need five burner phones? And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Rewind.